So the question is, how do women like us, age 50 plus, and dealing with high blood pressure, high blood sugars, and rising cholesterol levels, how do we keep our health numbers under control while we're trying to squeeze all the goodness we can from our life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I uncover the secrets of living a plant-based lifestyle, including how to avoid taking medicine simply by eating whole foods, shed the extra fluff around your middle without being hungry or joining a gym, make big lifestyle changes even if you think you have no willpower, eat food you love with no portion control. Let's get your doctor to say, wow, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. All this without meds or restrictive dieting. I'm Robin Wong, and welcome to No Pills, No Hunger. Hi, and welcome back to No Pills, No Hunger. This is Robin Wong, and you are listening to episode number three. Welcome, welcome. I don't have to tell you that we live in a society full of information. You have a nutrition question, you just Google it, and you have the answer, just like that, so fast. Whether or not the information is accurate or inaccurate is beside the point. You are left to decide that on your own. So honestly, all the information available to us may be more detrimental than helpful at times. You Google your symptoms, and they match some horrible, rare disease, and now you're not, you know, only not feeling good, but you're worried that you're going to die because you have some, the same symptoms that you read about when you only just really have a cold. Um, you all do this. You know it. I do it too. For many of my clients with type 2 diabetes, they go to the American Diabetes Association website or visit another respected website to get their information. And across the board, they say the same thing limit carbs and sugars and eat a balanced diet and try to lose weight. Unfortunately, this advice doesn't really solve the health issues brought on by eating the standard American diet and only slows the progression of disease. So the advice given is more of a moderate approach to eating the standard American diet. So you're still able to eat certain foods, but you're limiting other foods to control the symptoms of diabetes and not attacking the root cause. I know, I, I bought into this healthy eating approach for many years, avoiding red meats. We only ate lean white meats, non-fat milk. Um, we ate egg whites. We avoided the cholesterol in the egg yolks. And we made other healthy swaps only to have, a, only to have my husband ending up with type 2 diabetes. It's frustrating. I, I was there. I was like, we were doing everything right, yet this still happened. My point is, it's hard to know which information to apply to our lives to get the result we we desire. It's so overwhelming at times that all this information causes inaction or half-hearted attempts or kind of we start and stop type attempts at change. When I work with clients, I sometimes wonder why they have waited so long before they sought help. Sometimes they have spent years struggling to lose weight or to lower their blood sugars and trying to get their cholesterol numbers under control before they reach out for help. It frustrates me and makes me think because sometimes they wait so long they develop complications that makes their progress more arduous and it's harder for them actually. Think about how it's if, you're, if you exercise and you stop for a while, when you start back in, it's harder. 
you know, and so it would have been just easier to stay on track instead of stopping and having to start again. It's kind of like that. The obvious block seems to be fear of failure. That's what you would think, right? They know they're getting worse, but they don't know what to do about it. And they become resigned to their fate because they think, why bother with another approach? I always fail. Look at the last diet I did or the one before that. If you listen to episode two of No Pills, No Hunger, you know my view on that. You know my view on diets. You don't fail. The diet fails you. I really feel strongly about that. So that's, I'm going to tell you, you don't fail. The diet fails. Okay. But another common thing I hear my clients say is that they feel they should be able to manage their health on their own. It's sort of that independent streak, I guess. They somehow think that they should be able to know the best way to feed themselves. I mean, after all, everyone eats every day, multiple times a day, and is an expert in feeding themselves because we eat all the time, and we've been doing it all our lives. But these clients rarely stop to consider that possibly the information they have on how they feed themselves and the information they're getting on how to manage their type 2 diabetes doesn't actually tackle the root cause and is set up to merely slow the progression of the disease rather than reverse it or stop it. They also don't consider how or what they're eating because of their learned habits. We all have them, okay? We all grew up in a family that had certain foods they liked to eat. There is an emotional component to eating. Sharing a meal is part of living, it's part of celebrating, it's part of um, just life, right? It's joy, it's sad, all those things it's often will involve food for people. Think about how your family regarded food. Were you rewarded with food as a child? Were certain foods off limits? What sort of meals did your family or culture prefer? For example, I grew up in a large family of seven, seven kids, and the budget was always very tight. So we ate lots of beans, and we grew up on a farm in rice country, so we ate a lot of rice and rarely got sugar, sugary cereals or soda pop. If we did, it was gone in a day, and usually my brother was the one that ate most of it because he got up the earliest and got the, the lion's share of the cereal. So little did I know, though, that this was actually a blessing for later in life. I didn't develop a taste for sugary cereal, but I did develop a taste for beans, which are super healthy and budget-friendly. So as a college student, I was super thankful that I liked to eat beans. I could afford them. I do believe that a person knows their body best. We know when things feel different or not quite right, and it's always wise to pay attention to your body. Okay, You're, you know your body best. However, we aren't always the best equipped to choose foods that properly fuel our bodies for health because it's possible that the eating habits we learned while growing up aren't the best for our bodies or the best for our health. Basically, they're what we learn to eat. They're part of our culture. They're part of our family culture, okay? It's a, it's a learned habit. Honestly, there is so much information available to us via friends, internet, and the media it's hard to know what is the best way to eat, even if you're trying to change. You maybe recognize that your old habits aren't great and you wanna change, but then where, what do you eat differently? 
right? That's I, I totally understand. From one day to another, it, it's hard to sift through. There's a new miracle supplement that will grow hair or a new superfood that will prevent cancer. Okay, I gotta admit, I fell into the superfood thing for a while. Um, I discovered kale. I had, was never a big kale eater, and all of a sudden, a couple years back, it, well, many years back, it was a superfood. And I finally realized I was overdoing it when one of my sons said, Mom, what is this green stuff you keep putting in everything? I was like, okay, maybe I'm going a little over the top with the superfood thing. I mean, they were growing children. I wanted to give them the best possible thing that they, you know, nutrients they could use to grow. It's really hard to sort out the truth from the myth. And it's also harder not to jump on the bandwagon that when you hear people talking about, oh, this superfood or this is the newest and latest thing, it's, it's, we kind of fall into it. I, the hype, we, I get it. I was one of the, I was one of you, you know, I did it too. So let me tell you about a client I had that felt she should be able to manage her type two diabetes on her own. Um, I talked to her about a year before um, I ended up working with her. She happens to be in my circle and um, bumped into her and, and she confided to me that she'd been diagnosed as a type two diabetic she put on extra weight, she, and she was you know, really worried about it, right? And at the same time, I was just finishing my graduate program and getting ready to um, finish up my internship to become an RD. And I was like super eager to help, right? I was like, oh, you know, let me know. I can come over and help you organize your pantry. We can grocery shop and get you kind of on a plan. This will be really great. But I never heard from her, Okay. Never heard a peep. So I was like, okay, maybe she's got it under control. Um, but then a whole year later, I bumped into her again. And this time she was even more frustrated, more depressed, more confused, and just really resigned and not knowing what to do. Her numbers were worse. And now she was almost, she was borderline having to go on a statin. She was, um, had developed high blood pressure. And she just really was sort of depressed about it all. And I, you know, said, why didn't you, why didn't you call me a year ago? I would have gladly, you know, helped out. And she basically said, I thought I would be able to do it myself. I thought I should be able to do it myself. But I honestly didn't know what to do. And I don't know what to do. So my point is, why do we think that we should be able to do it ourselves? You know, we don't, not, we all eat, that is true, but not every one of us studies nutrition. Even our doctors who know so much about so many things, they don't study much nutrition, right? Before I went to graduate school and became an RD, I didn't, I studied, I read a lot of books about nutrition, but I still didn't know how the same knowledge base I have now. So just because we know how to eat and we have our habits doesn't mean that we should know how to to eat for our, a disease. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. You know, you know how to eat when you're hungry and what foods you like and what makes you feel good, but you don't always know, especially when you get a diet-related disease, really, um, you know, the one thing you should know is that how you're eating is contributing to that disease, but you don't know how to change it and you shouldn't expect yourself to. And there's so much information that sometimes it leads you astray. So this was really, uh, this was an eye-opening thing for me. When I was doing my graduate uh, school research, I went down to Fiji. Fiji is a very small island, not too far from Australia, South Pacific, um, lovely people. And um, 
where diabetes is going rampant now, okay? And, and so I was really interested in studying them, and they were so gracious enough to let me come down. And when I worked with these people, what I realized is that they had really no nutrition information compared to what Americans know, okay? They, they you know, they had internets and stuff, but where they're not as tied to the media and especially the older generations and internet sources like we are, right? It's just internet's a little more sketchy. Not everybody has it in their home, um, you know, so it's just, it's not as prevalent. And so when I would sit with them and give them the information, it was all new to them. And they would actually take it in and go do what I asked, right? You have hypertension. Well, what do I do for that? You cut down on your salt. Let's look at your diet. And then they would go do it. You know, you have diabetes. You need to cut down on the fats. Then they would go do it. And so I see this, this contradiction to all this information we have here in the U.S. that stops people from doing it versus these people that have nothing. And when they get it, they actually take it and run, right? And the issue with their diabetes down there is it's so rampant right now that it's really overpowering their medical system. So it's a real struggle. And honestly, we're not that far away from that here in the U.S. uh, with so many people having diabetes and it's growing, right? So that's one of the reasons I'm so uh, passionate about doing this podcast is because I want people to find a way to cure themselves, right? To reverse it themselves and not have to take the medicines. Okay, so that was my story on Fiji. So um, so again, I just wanted to say, so much of the health information we consume is false or a half-truth. I get it. I read everything. I altered our meals. I've done it. I've been down that road. And, and I was really angry when it, it did prove to be true that it was a healthy lifestyle for us, and we, my husband still got, got diabetes. Um, so I just want to let you know, it's okay if you don't know where to turn. It really is. I mean, think about it. One in three Americans has been diagnosed as diabetic or pre-diabetic. Does that sound like a problem that most people cannot figure out on their own or solve on their own? No. And so you have to you really sort through the literature and find a program that's going to work for you, okay? So that was one of the biggest reasons that my client said she didn't call for help. And, you know, and I see this over and over where they try and they fail and they struggle and their numbers keep, you know, going up and it's this vicious cycle. They try something else. It doesn't work. And, you know, this is, I'm so passionate about this because I, I know I can help these people when they finally make it in my door. So my point again, everyone needs help sometimes. So, you know, ask for it, find it, get, get help. And maybe it's not the mainstream help you need. Maybe you need to think out of the box and try something different because we know the current recommendations are just holding it off. They're just keeping it um, in check, you know, to slow down the progression. Maybe you need something more aggressive, you know, and to stay off medicines. That's what we had to do. That's what my husband had to do. He had to, you know, revamp his diet and rethink what food was to him to really affect his his type 2 diabetes. Another reason I hear people and why they don't make the changes is, oh, I can't give up fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank with cheese, chocolate, butter, potato chips, fried chicken, whatever it might be, 
that is a huge stumbling block for people. They honestly don't believe they can give certain foods up. It's almost like these foods have this hold over them, you know? And, you know, I find that really interesting. Um, here's a, an interesting example. I had a client that um, loved, when we started working together, loves butter. Loves butter. She puts butter on everything. She goes to a pound of butter a week, which I didn't even know that was a, a thing. You know, I was like, wow, I don't think butter even has that much flavor. And I was like, wow, the dairy farmers love people like you because, and I know my brother used to be a dairy farmer. So people that love cheese and butter and sour cream, keep them in business. It's not necessarily the milk. It's all those other products that are dairy products that restaurants use and people use as well. Um, so anyway, uh, like I said, it was odd for me, but you know, I was like, well, could we try to maybe um, find something else? Because if you have a habit, you want to swap them out. So find something else you could use. So where do you normally use it? I use it on, she used it on her toast. So we swapped out avocado on her toast instead, which right there, it gives you, you know, you know, oils and butters, fats, they have nine calories per gram versus, um, you know, carbohydrates and protein only have four calories per gram. So right at the top, you're lopping off a bunch of calories, right? So if you're trying to lose weight, and that's often what a lot of diabetics are trying to do, you're saving calories just by lopping off the, the oils and butter. So she was successful in doing that. And, you know, she didn't, she understood she didn't want something that was just giving her calories. Instead, she could have something that had more flavor and actually brought some nutrients with the two using the avocado. It was a win-win. Um, so I want you to think about that as you go through your, your, as you're doing your habit of how you eat, look and go, hmm, what am I, is this just a habit or do I really like this? Well, if you really like it, find out why. And, and then see, well, is there anything I could swap in there that I would like just as well? And try that because, um, you know, it, it's just, you want to make a healthier choice. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to have you find different ways to, you know, mix things up and make a healthy choice. Think out of the box, okay? So the other thing I want to say about swapping out these foods is that it does take about 10 days for your taste buds to change, okay? Um, and, you know, at first, when you start eating things that aren't salty and fatty and sugary, when you're um, eating more whole foods, less processed foods, they taste a little bland, right? Because you're so used to the over-seasoned foods. I have a client that um, started working with me and well, we started kind of letting her taste buds change. All of a sudden, a lot of the spices and so everything was too salty for her, right? And especially all the takeout food she got, too salty. And she used to have kind of a potato chip um, uh, weakness, okay? And she was cleaning out her pantry like many of my clients do. And uh, she came across to have a bag of potato chips and devoured them. And you know, felt kind of guilty about that. And I was like, hey, it's one thing, let it go, just move on, give yourself some grace, it's okay. And then I go, but keep on track, keep on track, keep, every meal's a chance, okay? Every cho you make choices every meal. Well, 30 days into her program, she was offered a potato chips. And then when she took the potato chip, she's like, oh my gosh, it's way too oily. It, it tastes terrible. So in that amount of time, she finally gave her her taste buds enough time to acclimate to the new flavors 
And so those old flavors didn't taste as well, okay, taste as good. So, um, so anyway, I just want you to maybe play with that a little bit and see if you start seeing, you know, the same thing happen with you. Give them, a, you know, 10 days to 14 days without those, the salt, sugar, and fat, and see if the, the um, whole foods start tasting better to you. And, and then you have to really kind of adventure out and try a bunch of different spices that you'll be really pleasantly surprised. The other thing for people is it's really, they need to realize that habit change takes time. Okay, so your taste buds take about 10 days, but to, to really change a habit takes more like 30 days, okay? People say 21, some say 30, some say a little longer. But what I wanna point out is that people think it takes willpower, and it more or less just takes consistency and time, really, to make the, the habit stick, okay? And so really what it's more about, not willpower, but a willingness to change and like I said, think out of the box, try something new, and and stick with it for enough time to really let it sink in and have your paradigm shift into a different realm. So for example, in 30 days, I've seen my clients change their taste buds and really start thinking of themselves as healthy eaters instead of as being diabetics, okay? there's It's a, it's a semantics thing, but it's really a mindset thing, okay? So they go from, you know, oh, I've got to take, you know, meds and I'm a diabetic to almost like I'm a recovering or I'm a diabetic going into remission. I'm a healthy eater. I'm a healthy person. And when you start telling yourself that, things sort of snowball, okay? So the habit is important, creating the habit, because that's where the lifestyle change happens. That's where it's going to be sustainable for your lifetime, so I, one of my clients, I know I, I love telling these stories and, and with my clients because I'm so proud of them. Um, the, the change was difficult. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but she stuck with it. And she's taken some of the recipes that I've given her and taken them to a whole new level. She's gotten them to, to work for her taste. She's eaten them long enough to now they're a habit and she actually misses them. She just got back from vacation and she said, oh, I, I missed my spring roll recipe when I was gone, you know? And so... It just, it just, she's been doing it long enough where it's, it's that, that's her new habit is these healthier foods and her numbers, it's, her numbers reflect her healthier foods. So anyway, I think people get hung up on this because they think, um, oh, I'm going to miss these foods, but let's face it, we sort of eat the same things over and over and over. And when you start thinking out of the box, there are so many foods we pro- you probably don't even eat on a regular basis that you would really enjoy. You have to just think about it differently, okay? And be open. It's the open mind. You have to be open to trying it. So and most of my, ple- my clients have been pleasant re- pleasantly surprised about all the good food they eat. And the key is they get to eat it with no portion control and no restriction, right? And they still lose weight. And so they're not hungry, okay? They're not hungry at all like like other diets, but you know they're having to eat different foods that aren't as calorie dense or as rich. They're eating more whole foods and, um, and they, they love it. In fact, you're, one of them, their husband says, are you eating again? You're eating that too? You know, because my client's eating all the time and he's not joining her because he doesn't want to change his diet. And yet he keeps putting on the weight and she's losing the weight. So there you go. If you get nothing else out of this podcast, please don't let diabetes just happen to you. You make a choice either way, and it's your choice. 
Either you make a choice to do something about it, and that could be making a modest change which slows the progression or an aggressive change which reverses your disease, or you make a choice to do nothing at all and you, you roll the dice and see where you land with complications down the road. It's still a choice, you don't, but the point is you're not letting it happen. You're making that choice to go that route, okay? And so I just want you to notice, know that that's, that is a choice and there's no judgment by me or anyone else about that because as long as you're making a choice and you're comfortable with it, um, that's fine, it's, it's always your choice. But, I, but my point is, I want you to know that you are making a choice one way or the other. And if you choose to, to try to reverse it, there are ways to do it that are, that slow, not only slow the progression, but they, they reverse it, okay? And, so, and it's really um, possible for you. So I just wanna encourage you to do that. Just like I said, make sure, know that I'm not making a judgment either way, but just be clear on your options and decisions. Okay, so, um, but I do want to point out with that last note that um, I, I want you to know there's historically whole cultures who have lived without eating cheese, chocolate, or butter, okay, and, and they've lived happy, healthy, disease-free lives. It's simply a mindset shift, right, and a choice versus health, you know, a, cho- a choice of health versus taste, it, and, you know, think about it that way, all right, and maybe a little bit of effort if you're making the change, but... You know, you're going to have to make an effort to be sick and, and do that or an effort to be healthy because neither one of them are easy. You have to choose your hard, okay? So anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. Um, I so appreciate you and I hope this gives you some value. And I look for, if you have comments, send them to me and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. I know there's about a million ways you can spend your time and I really do appreciate that you spent some time with me. Thank you. If you got something out of this episode and know someone who would also appreciate it, make sure to share it with them. We are all trying to get healthier in order to live well and you can show them you care about their health by sharing these messages. Want to start improving your health today? One place I like to start with clients is breakfast since morning habits are the easiest to build. That's why I created a guide called Three Breakfasts to Lower Blood Sugars, which includes easy, delicious recipes for my favorite meals to start the day. Pick it up today for free at page.nutritionwithrobinrdn.com forward slash guide, or click the link for Three Breakfasts to Lower Blood Sugar in the show notes. Thanks again, and see you in the next episode.